Hello and welcome to the Stuff I Heard podcast. This is your host, Joshua Peak. Hey, and today happens to be Saturday, September the 7th, 2019. This is episode 138. Thanks for joining me on this beautiful Saturday. The sun is out, the birds are tweeting, got coffee in hand, everything is good. We uh, made it home from our Alaskan trip and we had a great time. Um, we were able to do quite a bit while we were gone. Um, part of the reason we took this Alaskan trip was so that we could visit my son Draven. My boy Draven is getting ready to turn 25 in November, and, um, he moved out to Washington State years ago with some friends that he met online playing video games, and... Uh, they had an idea of living together and kind of making things work. He, uh, he had an adventurous spirit and wanted to move away, which I totally get because I did the same thing when I was his age. Um, I joined the Marine Corps and before I knew I was a dad, I had told them I want to see the world and they were like, done, we can do that. And then when I found out that I was going to be a dad, I went back to them and I said, I'm sorry, I need to change my plans a little bit. Instead of seeing the world, I need to be home with my son because I need to be around. I need to be a dad. I need to be present. But I still want to get away from Florence. Can I Can I go to the West Coast? And they were like, sure. You got any special skills? And I was like, well, I, I mean, like what? And they were like, I don't know. Can you type? And I was like, yeah. Okay, well, how how well? I was like, well, I took typing in school, so I can. I'm usually about sixty five words a minute. And he was like, what? Holy cow, that's really good. He's like, well, I can I can get you, you know, an O one job, which is like an office job. And I was like, okay, cool. I guess you know, whatever. It's not what I wanted to do, but it'll it'll the end result will be there. So from that moment my path was steered in the direction of I'm going to be present and I'm going to be in my son's life all the time. I made a conscious, a conscious decision that, like it or not, my son was going to know me on a daily basis as much as possible. And I was going to have an influence in his life in some way. Now, some of that is residual effects of what you know I've been through myself. Um, my mom and dad uh, married... When they were young, um, my mom had me when she was 20. They'd been married for a while. It wasn't like it was in my situation. Um, <clears throat> but they didn't, they didn't make it. They divorced when I was two. And my dad was an over-the-road truck driver, and he was dealing with a lot, you know, with a traumatic event that happened. And he, you know, was on a path of self-destruction for a long time. And we didn't have a lot of time together. We would have sparing little bits of time, but we didn't have a lot of time together. And he was, he was on a, on a fast path to try and kill himself, um, by working himself to death. He felt like he deserved something bad to happen to him, um, from the result of watching one of his friends burn up in a, in a truck accident. Um, he felt responsible. It's that survivor's remorse. And, I've learned about that more as I've gotten to be an adult and as our relationship has grown together 
And, you know, as a, a former Marine who's dealt with a lot of friends who've come out of the military, out of combat, and they talk about, you know, there's there's suicide from military all the time from survivor's remorse. They felt like they deserved to die, not their friend. And this PTSD and this, this traumatic trauma that happens in their brains, Dad was kind of going through that. And he went through that for a long time without any help because nobody knew to talk about that kind of stuff back then. You were just told to suck it up, be a man, move on, you know. And so you you numb yourself as much as possible with as many things as you can. And, you know, the side effect of that was, as a boy, I watched my dad not be present. And my mom remarried a guy who was... A dangerous fellow. He, um, but he was present. Here's the weird thing is, you sort of knew that you were living with a predator in ways. Um, because of his, you know, dramatic mood swings and his impulsive attitude. And I learned later it was because of drugs. Um, and a lot of self-esteem issues that he was going through. Listen, we all have demons. We all have things we're fighting through. And as adults, we grow out of that, and we learn from it, and we go, okay, I can either choose to emulate that, or I can choose to be different. Well, I took the best elements of the people around me growing up, and I realized I didn't want to be like my stepdad in his attitude and the way he interacted with the people around him. But... There was something endearing about the fact that he was present every day, and he sort of forced me to be immulsed into culture and to learn, kind of crash course, how to deal with people that are different than me. Um, Sometimes it was because it was, quote-unquote, family. We're going to go visit your cousins, and you can play with them. It was actually his nephews and they were cousins by marriage, but we were around the same age and we learned to play together and, you know, their dad was dealing drugs and come to find out the whole reason we went over there so that they could do drugs together and, you know, but hey, let's play together while we're here because they're locked in that room for several hours and we don't know what they're doing, but whatever. Let's just play together. They leave us alone. You know, I think nowadays they call that latchkey kids. You're like kind of left to your own devices. But then he was, again, he was more present than anybody else growing up. He always had a fun idea. Hey, let's take off. Let's go to a Braves game. We live in Florence, South Carolina. So a Braves game was, you know, four hours, five hours away, depending upon how fast you drive. Well, if you're on cocaine, you can drive really fast and aggressive. And we could be there and, and, and enjoy the game and come back. And, and you know, it was fine as long as you didn't poke the bear. You know, you kind of let him do his thing and you agree and you go along with things and, you kind of learn along the way that he's inappropriate around women and, you know, says things that are not cool because, you know, your mom is the guy that or the person that she's married to, but it just seems to be stuff he says and you just let it go and whatever. I didn't like that part. I did like the part where he was funny and he was present and he took an active role. You know, listen, I don't I don't begrudge my mom anything. My mom 
had her hustle. She knew what she needed to do, and she did it. And good for her. Listen, I'm better for it. If I hadn't lived through that, then then I wouldn't be here today. I wouldn't be the same person I am today. You know, my dad was dealing with his own demons, and, and if he hadn't have done what he'd done, I, I wouldn't be the dad that I am today. All of this happened for a reason. God had a plan bigger than, than anything that, you know, that any of us could have designed. Because during that, I realized that temperament-wise, I was more like my dad. I was a bit calmer. I was a bit more laid back. I was a bit more, you know, willing to listen um, my temper was more like my mom. It was explosive at times. It was too much. And I would, I would recognize that and I would try to reel it in. Um, but I made an effort all the time to be in my kids' lives. And I was, I was in Draven's life a lot. Um, you know, me and, me and his mom, we got married, um, after he was born because his, she was covered under her dad's insurance. He was in the military. He, uh, he died, uh, because of the military agent orange, I believe it was, uh, again, in result of PTSD, um, a lot of things going on with him, but <clears throat> we, uh, we got married once I had benefits with the Marine Corps and I'm probably the only person that ever took out a $3,000 loan to join the Marine Corps just to take care of their family while he was gone. But after boot camp, we got married and we moved out to California and a lot of things were set up for that to go wrong. We were young. Uh, I was 20. She was 19. Um, we were 3,000 miles away from any support, any family. You know, the Marine Corps is is not conducive to family life. Uh, nothing about it was like, oh yeah, this is going to work. I mean, it was just a disaster from the beginning. Um which we made even better by having a second kid because uh, we got divorced shortly after that. Um, and, you know, she moved back here. And when I, when I got out of the Marine Corps a few months later, I came home and started getting them all the time. Um, she had a little mental breakdown and, and maybe results of, um, you know, wanting to, wanting to live out some youth after being a mom. She didn't get a chance beforehand because I screwed that up. So she went a little wild for a while, and I had the kids full-time for about three years. And they were all the time with me, and we, you know, did everything together. We ate meals together. I got their haircuts. I got took them to the dentist. They, you know, went to Cub Scouts. My mom was a troop leader at the church with the Cub Scouts. Um, <clears throat> we... Um, would go to my brother's baseball games or uh, basketball games and football games, not baseball. He played baseball when he was younger. Anyway, um, you know, they played sports. Uh, Draven played football for a season. Uh, they played soccer for a couple of years. Draven played tennis. Um, you know, whatever they wanted to do, I was like, okay, let me see if I can figure out how to get you to do that because, you know, I want to be there for you. I want to help you. I want to I help you succeed. I want you to live your life. And all along the way, I've told them, live your life, live your life, live, you know, make decisions that's going to affect you. And along the way, you know, video games became a big part of their lives because of technology and the way it grew. And when I grew up, I had an Atari and eventually I got a Nintendo and then I got a Sega and then 
PlayStation and then Xbox, and then it just grew and grew and grew and grew. Well, somewhere around that time between PlayStation and Xbox is when they, they started developing and they started wanting to play with me. And I started showing them how to play. Okay, well, this is how you play this game. And, well, they got obsessed. They got a little over-obsessed. And to the point that they stopped living their life and just became involved in the game. And as a dad, <clears throat> listen, we all have our pitfalls, and I'm not perfect. I sort of perpetuated the problem. I would get them the latest game, and I would encourage, oh, check it out, you know, this is the new thing. And and I felt good the fact that I was around, and I felt that I was present, and I felt that I was able to give them the things that, that I didn't have growing up or felt neglected by as a kid. I'm like, here, I can do the thing that I wanted as a kid. I can give you the thing that I wanted as a kid. You're not going to have to go without and in a way, I made it worse because it sort of took over everything. They didn't have the same path that I have. When I was of age to drive, I couldn't wait to learn to drive because I wanted to get out of my house. I wanted to get away from my family. I wanted to go work. I wanted to make my own money. I wanted to be gone. I wanted to play with my friends. I wanted to get a girlfriend. I wanted to experience life. I wanted to live life. And... When my kids became of age, it was like, hey, you want to learn to drive? Eh, I don't know, maybe. I don't know, maybe later. <laughs> I was like, what? What are you talking about? <laughs> Come on, let's go. You know, it's like pulling teeth. I'm like, you know, grow up. Here, let's let's grow up some. Let's learn to do some things. Let's, you know. And I realized along the way that that I only have so much influence, and at a certain point they have to learn to live their lives. So I started telling them, hey, listen, this is your life. You like playing this Sims video game? Okay, life is like Sims. If you don't do these things, then your character, you, don't develop. You don't succeed. You don't get to live your life. You can't live here forever. You have to figure out how to become an adult on your own. And so, at a certain point, my oldest boy, Draven, said, You know what? I don't like your rules. I'm not doing anything you say. I'm out of here. And he didn't come around. And he stayed at his mom's house as much as possible, and his grandma's. And <clears throat> I get it. Listen, I had rules. I was like, listen, you're going to do this, and you're going to do that, and you're going to do what I say, because that's how it works around here. I'm looking out for your best interests. I'm trying to help you develop. I'm trying to help you succeed. You may not see that right now, but, you know, there are rules. There are rules to life. So anyway, he moved out, and at a certain point, he moved to Washington State. And I thought, well, okay, as his dad, I'm fully prepared to fly him home if I get a phone call. Like, because I know what it's like to go out and try something, but you sort of hope there's a safety net. You hope that there's a way home. So I was thinking the whole time, Okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna let you go, and I'm gonna hope for the best. And I'm also gonna sit by the phone and think. At some point, I'm gonna get a phone call, Dad. I need a ride, I need a way home, and I'm gonna figure out a way to get you home because that's what it takes. That's what I'm supposed to do. And when you get home, I'm supposed to be like, okay, let's regroup. Let's think about what you want to do with your life. Let's you know, let's focus. But he didn't do that. He's been out. He's been living out there now in in Mulcatillo, Washington State, for about three years now. And he seems to be doing fine. 
He is uh, living with some friends, and they're, you know, they're working, they're paying their bills, they're playing video games together on a regular basis, they're doing their thing. And he doesn't seem like he's remorseful about, you know, I'm ready to move home, you know, is there anything I can do to come home? None of that. He seems happy and healthy and happy that he's not here in Florence, which I totally get. It's a totally different world out there on the West Coast. And when you're 4,000 miles away from home, you know, it's, it's, it, it's looked at as an adventure. You're like, I'm, I'm doing it, man. I'm, I'm making it on my own. And you take pride in that in a way. You know, pride can be a motivator in a lot of ways. It can be detrimental, but it can also be a motivator. But he is doing it. Um, I felt good that I got to visit with him. I felt good that he looked healthy and happy. Um, I know money's tight with him, and we offered to buy him some clothes, and we took him out and bought some clothes, and that's that makes me feel good because I know that he'll be you know protected from the elements, and he maybe some of that love will come across, and you know he'll he'll get it. But anyway. Enough of that. I know you guys don't care about that, but I just wanted to talk about it because it was a big deal to me. Um, Let's talk about a few things that I heard because I did get to listen to some podcasts on the way, uh, on the plane yesterday. We flew home yesterday and it was a, it was an all day affair getting home. But um, I listened to Joe Rogan interview Neil deGrasse Tyson. That's always good. Anytime you see the two of them together, please listen to it. It's fascinating. Um, Neil deGrasse goes into detail a lot about physics and about how things work and how the, how the, you know, the planet spins and goes around the earth and I mean, goes around the sun and our galaxy, there's a black hole in the center of it. And he talks about black holes and he talks way over my head for a long time, but it's the more I listen to him, the more I understand what he's saying. He makes it, you know, he dumbs it down for people and kind of makes it so that you understand what he's talking about as you listen to him. He does have a book coming out. Um, that he was promoting that doesn't come out for another month. I didn't even get the name of it, but but still, he's one of the smartest, most fascinating people out there right now. And any time that Joe gets to interview him, Joe does a great job of interviewing. He asks a lot of great questions. Um, I highly recommend checking that out. I also listened to Dr. Drew After Dark. Um, he did a podcast where he interviewed Burt Kreischer and Leanne Kreischer. They're married. You guys have heard me talk about them multiple times. Um, this is a good interview, and, it, and it's funny. Um, he's had both of them on individually and asked them questions. Um, Dr. Drew is working through Tom Segura's uh, network right now of Your Mom's House podcast. And they have a production crew that was able to get little sound bites from the interviews and play them back for them. And, and we heard this on this show, you know. And so they've played it back, and it's funny. Um there is a new Two Bears, One Cave podcast. I haven't heard it yet. It's like episode five. Uh, I haven't heard it yet, but uh, I will. Um, I did get to listen to uh, Bert's. He did a podcast with Whitney Cummings recently. It just came out. And instead of listening to it, because I couldn't get the thing to play on my on my audio part, I actually watched it on YouTube last night because we got home and we're still on West Coast time, so we were up late, and I was like, you know, I can't go to bed yet. Let me let me play this video, and it's about two hours long. Uh, it's really good. Uh, they're friends together. They're comedians. Um, 
there was a scandal that came out. And listen, this plays right into what's on the front cover of Consumer Reports. I just got this in the mail. It says, who's watching you? It's got a big eyeball on it. And the reality is, is everyone's watching you. Everything that you put out, everything that you don't intend to put out, everything that you think nobody cares about, somebody's listening or watching. That's basically the boiled down version. And Whitney had a version of that. She was trying to learn how to mess with Instagram at some point, and she said that she was in the bathtub, and she had hit record to, to, to do some video, and <clears throat> after she'd sent it out, someone started, te- you know, people started texting her going, oh, my God, I don't think you realize, but your your boob is in the shot. And she was like, oh, no. And she went on there, and she looked at it, and she was like, oh, that's, I don't need that on there. So she deleted it. Well, a few people screenshotted it, and they tried to extort her. She, um, you know, it's not unheard of the fact that she is a self-made person. She has done a lot of things to make herself wealthy. She developed the, uh, the Whitney show, the two broke girls show. She's developed a lot of shows. She did Roseanne, uh, when it came back. Um, she's done movies. She is a successful comedian. She's done a lot of things. Um, she's financially well off. And people tried to extort money from her. They're like, listen, we have these pictures, you know, we got your stuff in the cloud and we're going to, we're going to publish it if you don't send us money. And she was like, she went through this whole thing of, you know, this time frame of extortion. And she was like, what do I do? Do I, do I pay them money? And if I do, then how much money? And do I keep paying the money? Cause they keep going wanting to extort money. And she said, I decided to just, come out with it and, and just put it out there myself. And so I, I had the photo and I went ahead and put it online. she goes, I wasn't upset about my boobs. She's like, my boobs look great. I I had them done. They, they're perfect. She's like, but I I was more ashamed of my face because I was in the shower and it didn't look flattering and, or I was in in the tub and I didn't look flattering at all. And I was like, my face looks awful, you know, which it's silly. Um, but she realized that if she took away their power, then they had no power over her. So she put it online. She put it on Twitter. And she was like, here, I posted this video. Someone took this screenshot of this photo, and they're trying to extort money from me, and it's wrong. And I figured if I put it out here, then they they lose the power. Who cares? I'm a comedian. I'm I'm on stage on a regular basis. I'm self-deprecating. I come up on stage on a regular basis and I make fun of myself more than anybody because I lack self-esteem and it's funnier if I laugh at myself than have you laugh at me. So here's a photo of me naked, whatever. And Bert is a friend of hers and he happened to be looking on social media whenever it posted. And he said he had looked at it and it posted like an hour before. And he said he realized at that moment how awful that was because he's got two daughters and he started talking to his daughters about blackmailing and extortion and how wrong it was. And they talked about it and they had just apparently looked at a photo that he had of his testicle where he had ruptured a testicle. And he was like, you know what? I'm really embarrassed of this photo. It looks awful. And I would hate for anybody to find this, but I can go ahead and put it out there and say, listen, I stand with you. Here's an embarrassing photo of me. I don't want anybody to know it's out there, but here it is. It's not flattering. It's embarrassing. 
but screw it. I, I don't care. I want to do this in solidarity and support. And so he sent it to her on Twitter. <laughs> he said, he said, you know, comment. He's like, as soon as I sent it out there, I thought, oh my God, did I just send Whitney a, a picture of my nuts? And he's like, oh my God, what did I just do? <laughs> he's like, he's like, not only did I do that, but it's out there on the internet now. And he goes, oh no. And he was like, well, oh well. Which she right away understood what he was trying to do and and thanked him and was like, oh my God, thank you so much for doing that. And then other other comedian celebrities, you know, like Chris D'Elia and stuff, started sending embarrassing photos of themselves and saying, listen, this is, this is a, a photo I'm really embarrassed about. And, you know, here it is, you know, who gives a shit? And that's the idea. You know, it's wrong to take advantage of people and it's wrong to leverage people like that. And she took the power back in that moment just by going, you know what? I don't care. Whatever. Whatever. You want to you see my boob? Who gives a crap? I'm more embarrassed about the fact that my face looks awful in this photo. Which it didn't, by the way. It's just her perspective. But people are leveraged all the time by things they're embarrassed about. I listened to Perry Noble's podcast. Shifting gears here. You see I did that? I listened to Perry Noble's podcast, Second Chance Church, Even If was the latest episode. And in it, he talks about a crazy story about a guy who rapes a girl. He says, it's in the Bible. He reads it word for word. Guy who rapes this girl and then and then wants to marry her and goes back and tells the, you know, the family, you know, I'm in love with her. I want, I'll do anything to marry her, you know. And, and, and so the family discusses it and they talk about it. And supposedly if they marry, then then they'll form a bond between their families and forever they'll, you know, sisters, the daughters will marry boy, you know, sons and so on and so forth. And they'll share in land and fortune and whatnot. And this family decides, okay, I'll allow it if all the men in your group get circumcised. And so <clears throat> this guy goes back and convinces all the men to get circumcised so that they can do this. And when they do, of course, they're, they're, they're weaker uh, because they're injured, they're, they're healing. So three days after it happens, uh, two of the girl's brothers, with sword in hand, go in there and kill all the men, just with, with hardly no effort because everybody else is weakened. He goes in there and kills all the men. They get their redemption. And then and this is Old Testament. And then he talks about how, you know, in the New Testament, Joshua is leading these people, you know, after 40 years in the desert, and they're supposed to cross the Jordan into the seven-nation land. And <clears throat> they dry up the Jordan, just like Moses did with the Nile. They dry, God dries up the Jordan, and they walk straight across, and they get to the other side. And once they're over there, God tells, tells Joshua to make flint swords, and circumcise all the men. And they knew of this story in the Old Testament, and they were like, wait, what? What? Seriously? Now? we got seven nations out here that want to kill us, and, and, and this is what you want me to do now? And But they, they take God at his word, and they do it. And they thrive as a nation. And now we don't even know the names of those seven nations. But they did it because God told them to. It's an interesting story, and 
Listen, I believe everything in the Bible is meant to be poetic and meant to be a discussion group. That's why churches survive nowadays. That's why all this continues is because it's it's meant for us to discuss, which doesn't get discussed enough in Baptist communities. It seems to be more in Jewish and Catholic communities where there is a constant conversation that happens. There's a guy that I follow on Facebook who has talked about he studied six pages, no, six paragraphs of the Torah for the last 20 years. And he said, every time I read it, I I get something different from it. I learn something new from it. Because it's letters that mean words and numbers that mean words, and sometimes they mean different words. And when you read it from Hebrew into you know, Sumerian and and the translations, you learn different things that it's supposed to mean. So you get different interpretations and you get different meanings from it in a way that is meant to be discussed. So anyway, go check it out. It's pretty great. I'm going to wrap this up. I hear my wife is awake now. We got to get our house together. Like I said, we've been gone for a while. Um, Lots of laundry to do. Yay. Uh, Thanks for listening, everybody. Please remember to rate, review, subscribe, and tell your friends about it. And uh, as always, remember to cue the cow. (laughs) 